0: When the girls are left with the prospect of becoming mothers again after a baby is abandoned in their care, they have a lot of questions. Will they be better parents this time around? Will their love for this child make up for the love their own children didn't receive? Will Alicia realize she's mixed up this week's episode with the baby for that other episode with the baby in last week's outro? All of that and Sophia's tale of runner woes in this week's episode, And Then There Was One thank you for the friendship we've come so far and traveled wide you're my best friends i could never Yeah. Speaking of, I would like to clarify. Yeah, I did. At the end of last week's episode, I said that this week we will be learning everything about Mr. Sandman. And then while I was writing this one, I was like, wait a minute. That doesn't happen in this episode. And no one called me out on it. So shame on everyone. Not just me.
1: I mean, I, wish, I just wish I had known that. I I would totally have shamed you.
0: I know. <laughs> So speaking of before we get into the actual story of today, Coco pointed out to me about the title. He actually connected all the dots and it's based on the Agatha Christie book, which was originally called, oh boy, 10 little inwards before then becoming, oh boy, 10 little Indians. It was then changed to, and then there were none. The book has been banned on and off, mostly due to the language, like how the island was originally called the N-word island, then Indian island before becoming Soldier Island. Coco, I've not read the book, but the story is that, like, guests get invited to an island not really knowing why. And then they
1: all start dying off, I guess. That's exactly right. Much like the 80s film April Fool's Day. Ooh. A McCullough-Holland home favorite that's right um yeah i didn't know any of that about the title that is truly a shock yeah and real nice agatha <laughs> i'm assuming that that original the title was maybe like a, a kid's song or something yeah it One said little, that it came two, from little, little, a little little song oh so yeah boy. probably yeah
0: yeah lots of oh boys there so out the gate before we even get to the story we're still at the title And it's riddled with oh boys. In her favorite multicolored checkered dress, we find Sophia in the kitchen serving herself some spaghetti. Well, it's not spaghetti. We actually learn it's linguine pasta with clam sauce after cream with purple trim pajama wearing Dorothy comes into the kitchen and asks. Her follow-up question represents the repulsion we all feel. Who eats linguine and clam sauce for breakfast? Clam sauce is exactly what it sounds like. As a white sauce on the long, thin linguine noodles, there's white wine, garlic, olive oil, and minced clams. The red, which is what Sophia is enjoying, is a simple tomato sauce with the same clam situation. Numbers. Coco, have you ever had clam sauce? I know you do more fish products than I used to do. No. Would you? Yes. Well, open up because here is some on a platter. Uh-huh. <laughs> You would do it. Would you do a white sauce or a red sauce?
1: I think it would be better with a white sauce. Mm -hmm. I'm a chowder man, if you know what I'm saying.
0: Oh, yeah. You like clam chowder. So I'm sure it's similar to that.
1: That's exactly what I meant.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the white seems more natural, kind of like the white meat in the white sauce.
1: Yes, the white weird meat. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In response to Dorothy's judgmental question, Sophia retorts, it's a little recipe from Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, the Albanian Indian saint in the Roman Catholic Church, did write books, but none of them were about working out. Soon after Dorothy's appearance and questioning, Rose and Blanche come in, also curious about what she's eating. Of course, they don't ask her when it's a meal considered more normal for breakfast. They have to be all up in her business when she's carb-loading. And isn't that always the way? You could be sitting in the corner eating a normal meal, but when you try to hide that you're enjoying some barbecue chips with milk, suddenly the whole world wants to know what you're consuming.
1: Yep. (laughs) We sure do.
0: Studies from the Journal of Applied Physiology show that carb loading before working out does, in fact, have benefits, but there are caveats. If you're working out for a long period of time and the exercise is focused on performance, you should have some extra carbs a little while before doing so. So, if you're going for a long run where you want to increase your endurance, have some toast and hash browns. Going for a slow, steady walk for a short amount of time and you don't need to be breaking any records. You probably shouldn't start the day with pasta and clams. But either way, you shouldn't overdo it, as eating a big meal and then working out could totally make you borf. The meal, it turns out, is part of Sophia's training for the upcoming walkathon. Unfortunately for Sophia and her breakfast, carb loading isn't part of training. Its effects are only for the day of. Oh well, what does she need practice for anyway? She's been walking since 1904. Which gives us a little bit of a math plot whoopsie. Seeing as Sophia was born somewhere between 1905 and 1907, according to statements made throughout the series, having her walk in 1904 would put her birth, should she have started walking at an average age, at 1903. Rose in her light pants, pink cardigan, and blue shirt agree with Sophia that the walkathon thon is a wonderful idea. It's so wonderful, in fact, she's signed everyone up for it. Well, Dorothy, per usual, is not having it. She walks every day and 10 miles on the weekend is a no-go. That's when Rose clarifies, no, 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 we'll be sitting, which is great for Blanche as sitting is her second favorite position. Okay, let Rose clarify, the sitting they'll be doing is of the baby nature, no, not on them, watching them. They'll be the daycare for the kids of walk-a-thon participants. Rose's excitement about the plan is met with equal disdain from Blanche, who barely liked having her own kids around, let alone watching other people's. Coco, were you ever a babysitter as a teen?
1: Never once. I was more of a walkathon boy, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever do a walkathon?
1: Oh my uh, my grade school did them every year. So, yeah, I've done a bunch, and I really enjoyed them.
0: Did you actually make money? Because I think our yeah. school did it, too, but it was like you had to go around and get people, and I think I just always had my parents do, like, a dollar or whatever.
1: I think that's what I did, too. I <laughs> I'm not going to go around
0: knocking ta- on doors, talk
1: to people about what I'm doing and then ask them for something at my age.
0: Besides her dislike of children, Blanche has found another reason she doesn't want to be involved. She'd rather be the sponger for the walkers. Reading the surprisingly graphic description in the brochure, she would be in charge of basically giving sponge baths to the walkers to cool off their overheated bodies. I get that Miami is hot, but do you really need to get sponged while walking? And by a stranger? Also, how many sponges will they have? How will the water be managed as to not get bathed in, you know, pre-sponged sweat? With Rose and Dorothy on board for sitting, Blanche gives up her sponge dreams and agrees to the one day of caretaking. Hmm. Hating having your kids around. Sounds like my Grammy. Must be a Southern thing. There is, in fact, a Henry Ford Foundation, which was created by Henry Ford's daughter and has donated billions of dollars towards the betterment of human welfare. But unlike the car-creating Nazi Henry Ford, whose Ford Falcon was created from 1960 to 1970, Henry Fjord was a saint and not the creator of the Fjord Falcon, as Blanche states. He wanted to do something good for his community, so he cleaned up the local pond. I wonder, did the writers purposely make the antithesis of Ford clean scum, that which his namesake was made of? We'll never know. His St. Olafian name is appropriate for his cause, as a fjord is a long and narrow sea or lake drain with steep land surrounding it. Fun fact, unlike most of Rose's locations, which tend to not exist, Lake St. Olaf is a real place, almost. The name is actually St. Olaf Lake, and it is located in Minnesota. It's three miles east of New Richmond, is full of fish and plant life, it has a two-mile shoreline, and is 33 feet deep. Not reacting to or responding to Rose's story, Sophia brings us back to the walkathon and another good reason for her to do it. She won't have to hear Rose's stories for an entire day. It's a beautiful, sunny Saturday, and it's time for the walkathon. As Blanche scurries out of the living room with all of her breakables in her arms, keeping them safe from the children, Rose comes in with a platter of which she sets on the coffee table. Dorothy, in her jeans and a green with white-collar top, inquires as to the need for the platter of food. Rose, in a yellow shirt and an aquamarine cardigan, explains. It's simple. It's just a homemade version of Mr. Potato Head. Using a real baked potato, we can give it raisin eyes and broccoli hair. When Mr. Potato Head, now known as Potato Head, because there are actually good people that are accepting of progress and non-binary existence, was first created in 1949 by George Lerner, and at its inception, it was not that different from Rose's project. What was originally sold were just the add-on pieces, the eyes, legs, ears, and it was up to the purchaser to jab them into vegetables. It didn't take long for the complaints from parents about nasty old veggies being kept around their house, which led to the company creating the plastic potato body. Another fun fact, Potato Head was the first toy to be advertised on television. If you get a moment, please go to YouTube and put in Mr. Potato Head First Commercial to watch these old plastic pieces of nightmare fuel get shoved into actual huge deformed potatoes. It's something that will stay with me a long time.
1: I, did, I can confirm I did not. I also did not like watching that clip to record <laughs> for the show.
0: It's upsetting.
1: Get better potatoes.
0: <laughs> hey, it's Hasbro.
1: Hasbro makes voice. What's new, Hasbro? Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head with their own cars and trailers. That's what's new. See, Mr. Potato Head has a car and boat trailer. And there's a car and shopping trailer for his
0: wife, Mrs. Potato Head. It's such fun to do (laughs) and so easy. Oh, boy. Dorothy, let's not compare the skin of a potato, especially one with fruit features, to that of Sammy Davis Jr. Still worried about the safety of her breakables, Blanche is annoyed she's even allowing the girls to do this as she continues to gather all of her possessions for hiding. Coming out to the hallway in her fabulously 80s bright pink workout outfit, including a headband, leg warmers, short shorts over her pants, and her runner's bib on her purse, Sophia is ready to hit the pavement. Hopefully, not literally. Making sure her elderly mother feels ready to compete, Dorothy asks Sophia one last time, Are you sure? Heck, she isn't even sure if her pants are on right. But just like she used to tell Sal, she'll be slow and steady. Not that you want to think about it, but you kind of have to wonder just how fast Sal was. Did he, according to melmagazine.com, finish faster than the fastest report in the study of sex speeds at 33 seconds? Or was he gyrating faster than the average OTP, or one thrust per, at 0.8 seconds? Either way, what a shame. Also, kind of weird and gross that he rubbed his tummy after... Once again running through the living room, Blanche in her dark pants, white shirt, and purple floral cover is frantic about the chaos that is making its way to their home as they speak. With the ringing of the bell, our first guest has arrived, and it's Bob Henderson, who is here to drop off his picky son, Norman. Playing Bob Henderson is Ray Combs. Although he had only six credits to his name before his passing in 1996, he was well-known and well-loved. Getting his start in stand-up comedy and a boost from an appearance on Johnny Carson, his TV career began on Facts of Life, followed by You Again before his role with The Girls. After that, he was in Overboard, Amen, and In Living Color. But the job he is most famous for is for hosting the reboot of Family Feud from 1988 to 1994. Here's a scandalous clip where they had to censor the word...
1: Fart. I think I'm going to go with my own. Uh, uh, hold gonna... on,
0: he is going on his own, which is one of the bravest things we ever see on this show. Dan,
1: I'd say. <laughs> show me. Break wind.
0: Playing sweet little Norman, who dislikes everything and is clearly a pain in the butt, a pain the girls will have to deal with while his father is out walking, is Christopher Burton. This role fell in the middle of his career, starting in 1984, ending in 1991. After his roles on shows and films like *Neverending Story 2, Webster, Highway to Heaven, License to Drive, Max Headroom, Ghoulies 2, Mama's Family and Who's the Boss, he struggled to get work and ended up devoting his life to being a Christian. And that's the end of that story. Introducing the rude little Norman to the rest of the sitters, his first reaction to Dorothy, perhaps because of the combination of her gray hair and height, is to call her the Bride of Frankenstein. He doesn't have a rude comment to direct at Blanche, just an overall disappointment of the situation sucking. When Dorothy tries to problem solve, asking him what he would like to do, he says he would like to play with army men. Oh, Too bad it's Saturday. There was a colonel here on Tuesday with Blanche. Other than that, she can't help him much. She doesn't know anything about infantrymen. She only dates officers.
1: You think, uh, Colonel Angus?
0: (gasps) Her date probably was the infamous
1: Colonel Angus. Yes, Daddy. I can't wait to meet him. Oh, watch out, Melinda. Once a woman is introduced to Colonel Angus, she'll settle for nothing less.
0: (laughs) The army men Norman is referring to are the little green army men. Between two and four inches in height, depicting different military actions, they were welcomed into the Toy Hall of Fame in 2014 after first being introduced in the 1930s. Hoping to please the very hip Norman in his 80s geometrical patterned shorts, yellow shirt with an open shirt over it, Rose asks if he'd like to play with a potato. Showing a child can be as scathing and witty as the girls, he turns and asks her, Sure, what do you want to do? Oh, our poor potato-headed Rose. What a burn. As the day goes on and their home in lanai fill up with children, the girls have found something for all the kids to enjoy, playing with clay outside. It doesn't take long for Storm and Norman to ruin the fun by bashing all the other kids' creations with his fist. After watching him bully, Rose bullies back, smashing Norman's sculpture before walking away to check on the two babies Dorothy is rocking in their strollers. The babies are asleep and not, as Dorothy jokes, waiting for her to leave so they can mock her diapering abilities. But Rose assures her, they won't do that. So Dorothy assures her, yeah, I know, babies can't talk. But Rose corrects her. Of course they can, but only to other babies and extraterrestrials. Believe it or not, Rose is right about the baby part. The alien bit remains unknown babies develop a lot of their communication and understanding skills by watching and copying those around them. But in addition, a study conducted by BYU found that babies prefer baby voices and can understand facial and vocal expressions of other babies. So yeah, they do communicate with each other. As far as babies being understood by aliens far away, I think Rose meant like, on Mars or something, not the folks in the Florida city 150 miles north of Miami, Vero Beach. When Blanche finally makes an appearance, showing off just how calm and patient she can be with a child, she immediately yells at Norman when she finds him ripping pages out of a book. Before he can explain himself or apologize, and before the girls realize this kid is showing a lot of red flags and someone should say, hey, are you okay? Are things at home okay? We had this issue before when we dealt with Blanche's grandson. Nope. Instead, Blanche threatens to whip him with a switch. A hickory switch is a weapon of child abuse. It's a stick from a tree, and in this case, a hickory tree.
1: Fun. Foul. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wanting to show off her teaching skills, Dorothy does step in to ask Norman why he's being destructive. That's when we learn what's going on at home. His daddy is rich, and this entitled little jerk has no sense of empathy or privilege. And with that, Dorothy walks away. She's not at work for crying out loud. After Rose suggests a game of hide-and-seek, and Blanche asks Norman if he'll be joining, she's met with a judgment regarding the age of her outfit. Which, let's discuss. This is a form of ageism. Someone I aspire to be when I'm in my 80s is Batty Winkle. She's wrinkled, has saggy boobs, wears things Miley Cyrus wouldn't have worn during her MDMA phase, and all of it is wonderful. Age is a construct, and so is fashion. If you like it and you feel good in it, wear it. The time in my life I hated my clothes the most were the two times I had office jobs. I didn't even know how to shop for those types of clothes. But give me a t-shirt, some leggings, a jean jacket, and Connie's, and I'll be set. You hear me, judgmental Dorothy? You're a dirtbag! Showing us that her fear of having children around goes deeper than just worrying about things getting broken, Blanche is emotional after her interaction with Norman. She gives us, well, it's not an oh boy, as in a bad 80s joke, but kind of more of a geez Louise about her life. At 10 years old, she had a boyfriend capable of getting and needing a fake ID, So he was, what, like 18 years old? And because she was hypersexualized as a child, she struggled to relate to and understand her own children. To this day, she feels as though children don't like her. She supposes it's because of her non-childlike mind that can't relate. Q Rose, a.k.a. me, when I worked in an elementary school, leading the garbage lid band as the line of children follow her, marching and banging their lids waking the previously sleeping babies and leaving us all wondering what the heck happened to that game of hide and seek let's take a moment to talk about the unnamed children of the lanai little timmy is played by 11 year old scott curtis he continued acting through the 80s on shows like murder she wrote full house and growing pains after acting he went into music first as a performer now as a producer and if you want to read an advertisement for his studio just check out his wikipedia page Lisa needs no introduction. Sitting in her pink overalls, she is, of course, played by the iconic Ariana Richards, who you may know from the greatest monster movie of all time Tremors. After her debut with The Girls, she went on to be on My Sister Sam, I'm Gonna Get You Sucka, Empty Nest, Prancer, Angus, Boy Meets World, Tremors 3, and another pretty good monster movie, Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park 3. And she even broke our hearts as the star of the music video for the song Brick from Ben Folds 5.
1: She's a brick and I'm drowning, so Do you remember the movie Angus?
0: Um, vaguely, it's kind of like a portly kid is the outcast or whatever. That's kind of all
1: I remember. Yeah. I don't know. If, is Can we say portly still?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say fat, but that He's was like, like an overweight kid. That again. was kind of know. the plot point. With yes, he, he was. was. He was a big
1: kid. He was an outcast, kind of a nerd, a dork, if you will. But I think she plays the love interest in it. And it came out at a time in my life when I was about the same age as the character of Angus and I was a heavier boy and people at my high school called me Angus.
0: How did that make you feel?
1: Not good.
0: Oh, no. Didn't
1: like it. But, oh. you know, watching the movie, it's I mean, it, I was like, "Hey man, that's fine. I'll be <laughs> okay. Angus. It's cool." But but the they hadn't oh. seen the movie and were calling me it because I was
0: Cuz you were portly.
1: I was quite portly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. such a sweet little boy. And people were, you know,
1: why why be mean to a young quiet boy?
0: Yeah, he's just a quiet boy. But
1: it wouldn't have maybe gotten me here. That's true. To the big time.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Moving on from acting, Ariana released some music before focusing on painting. She's an Oregonian living in Salem with her husband, as she enjoys a successful impressionist oil painting career. Hey neighbor, Gmail us.
1: Tell us to be-
0: Playing baby Emily is Jessica Keenan Wynn. The Golden Girls was her first role and her only for the 80s and 90s. In 2011, she went back to acting after, I'm guessing, taking some time to grow up into a human and taking roles in Billions, Mamma Mia 2, The Mimic, and the new Clifford movie. She's even better known for her stage acting in musicals like Les Mis, Heather's, and Beautiful. Or you could come smoke,
1: pound some rum and coke In my Porsche with the whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. Back in the house with a, well, not log baby, but definitely fake baby is Dorothy, who is rocking the wad of Blanket as it cries. That's when we realize the sun is down, the other children are gone. It's been hours and this baby still hasn't been picked up. As Dorothy tries to soothe the crying baby and Blanche becomes more worked up, Rose knows why the baby is sad. It needs its mother. It needs to hear a familiar, soft, feminine voice, implying Dorothy doesn't exactly have that. Which is why she asks, and I'm doing what, my Ben Gazzara impersonation? Ben Gazzara got his acting start on and off-Broadway before making it on television. His most notable role was in Roadhouse, but even more famous than his acting was his very very deep voice
1: Sorry. You disgust me okana you want to know why you disgust me no why boss because <laughs> you're a bleeder you bleed too much you are a messy bleeder some may know him as jackie treehorn in the big lebowski
0: he's jackie treehorn
1: you're gosh darn right he is
0: i didn't even see that on the list
1: jackie treehorn That's baby cool. of course you have to take the good with the bad New
0: technology permits us to do very exciting things in interactive, erotic software. Wave of the future, dude. After not finding success with Rose or Dorothy rocking the baby, Blanche, who is terrified of the rejection, refuses. But as soon as Dorothy forces the baby in her arms, they both settle down. When the doorbell rings, everyone is relieved the parents are finally there to get baby Emily. But they're wrong. It's adult Sophia who has come home from the walk. Patting her chest, she tells the tale of her walk. Half the walkers dropped out, or perhaps dropped dead, when the starter pistol went. Starting slow, she saved her energy before pouncing like a panther. That's when everyone started chanting her name, and I love how she says this. Sophia, Sophia. With the finish line in sight, she hit the wall. No, not the runner's wall. The wall of the new Wendy's being built on Collins Avenue. In Miami, there isn't a Wendy's on Collins Avenue, but there is one on Biscayne Avenue, perhaps close to the hospital. Gathering herself after her fast food encounter, Sophia carried herself across the line and won. There are even talks of a Sports Illustrated cover. Sports Illustrated magazine has been celebrating the accomplishment of athletes like Sophia since 1954, but perhaps the want to use her for the swimsuit issue, which started a decade later. So what does it mean to hit the wall as a runner? Well, exercise physiologist, Dr. Tim Noakes, in speaking to runnersworld.com, explains that when your brain feels your body has reached its breaking point, you feel extreme fatigue and your glycogen, where carbohydrates and energy are stored, are depleted. Even when a runner has hit the proverbial wall and they feel like they can give no more, if they push through the wall, they can keep going. That is, unless there are literal bricks involved. Heading to her bedroom, Sophia hears the phone ring and says that if the call is for her, to have them call back later. But the call wasn't for her. It was the walkathon thon organizers, and they have bad news. Everyone has left the event, and Emily's parents are definitely not there. Maybe Sophia's right, and Emily has been abandoned with the girls. Dorothy has done the right thing and called the police to report the missing parents. While on hold, she comments on how natural Blanche's mothering has been and how Emily seems to be so comforted by her, but that she needs to have time alone so she can sleep alone. Blanche digresses. Sleeping alone isn't something anyone gets used to, baby or not. Perhaps that's why she doesn't ever do it. Dorothy even giving the oh boy of saying Siamese twins, or as we've discussed, conjoined twins, sleep alone more than she does. AKA never. But point goes to Dorothy here. According to TheBump.com, babies under four months old can be held whenever, but after that age and when regular sleep patterns start to develop, the baby should be able to get itself to sleep and soothe itself should it wake up, a skill everyone should have. Otherwise, the baby could be conditioned to needing to be held for comfort and or sleep, and it's a real nightmare. And I totally agree with this. I used to work at a daycare attached to an alternative high school. The daycare was for the children of the students so they could continue their education. And we had one little girl who was about six months old. And holy cow. She lived with her mom and the mom's large extended family. She's only a teenager, remember. And that family never put her down. The girl even told us, this baby is never not held. And what that meant for the daycare was one person was stuck holding that baby all day while everyone else managed all the others. Because the second you even considered putting her down, she would scream in a way that made holding her the only reasonable option. It was awful. But one day with some strangers who are comforting her, Emily, whatever her age, she'll be fine. Besides, based on her size and that she isn't walking or crawling around, I would guess she's about six months old. Coming in from the lanai, Rose is curious about the goings-on. After getting off the phone, Dorothy has news from the officer. They have two options. Taking in at the inseam is regarding the seam on the inside of the pants from the crotch to the ankle. The taking in in this case would be to the police station. So they can turn Emily over or keep her until child services arrives in the next day or two. Hopefully in the meantime, police are working the parents as a missing persons case. (music) Blanche and Rose are horrified at the idea of taking her to the police. If her parents abandoned her, why should they do the same? Rose has a history of almost abandonment, so she knows how much it hurts. At nine years old, at the rooted vegetable carnival, as she bobbed for yams, counting turnips, and etc., when she was done with her games, she realized her parents were gone. She was lost and certain she would be forced to live with the bearded lady and elephant bather. Instead, she looked for the brightest star. No, not the Northern, the Texaco star, which is the logo as a tribute to their home base of Texas. And she followed that to the road, and down the street was the family farm. So I guess her parents did actually abandon her at the carnival? They just left her to choke on a yam? This humdinger of a St. Olaf story has Dorothy concerned that Rose hasn't been washing her fruits and veggies enough. Is that out of concern that the bacteria are causing mental issues or was it known even then that long-term low-level exposure to pesticides used on produce causes brain damage? Either way, wash your produce. Fun fact, yams are always sweet potatoes, but not all sweet potatoes are yams. Gams are always legs, but not all legs are gams. Coco, were you ever lost or almost lost as a child?
1: That was never really my tail because I was afraid of being lost Mm. so I was really stuck to my parents like glue most of the time I think aside from just one time in a department store when I hid under a rack of clothes for a minute (laughs) and I think it was like just enough to freak out my mom Uh, I was 19 at the time (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and I think I did it just, just for long enough and she, I, I, there was yelling and then I, I and came And you're out, like, that's not for me. That's not my style. Yeah. I mean, I remember even when I was really little, my dad took my sister and I on a camping trip and a ranger said something about bears. And from that moment on, I literally <laughs> did that, not leave his side. I did not leave his side once for the rest of the weekend. So no.
0: <laughs> Left with the two options, the girls have to come to a decision. Are we turning her in or keeping her? Without a discussion, it's decided. They can do a better job than a police station, so they will keep her. They'll just have to get some supplies like diapers and food. No worries. Rose has the food thing covered. She's defrosting a pork chop. With an eye roll of a tone, Blanche explains Emily can't eat that. She only has two teeth. Ah, so Emily is probably between six to nine months old. Okay, good to know. But the tooth argument doesn't mean anything to Rose. Her uncle only had one tooth, and he ate corn on the cob. Well, he didn't eat it. He kind of just knocked it off the cob and made a pile of corn in his lap, which they then creamed for him to eat later. Really, you've got to wash your fruits and veggies. The corn story has disgusted Blanche, and she shoes the ladies out the door to go get things, Dorothy suggesting they stop by the definitely open all-night market. After Rose leaves, Dorothy gives a look back to Blanche, creamed what fell in his pants. The ladies are back from the store, and Rose is excited to have been able to purchase both beef jerky and a Family Circle magazine, which was about housekeeping recipes, etc., and was in print from 1932 to 2019, but Dorothy is not. She's abhorred at the prices. You've probably noticed convenience stores are always more expensive. That comes down to two things hours and bulk if a grocery store is ordering a type of cereal let's say life they can order 50 boxes and not only have room for them but will sell them a convenience store might only buy five boxes and when buying from a manufacturer it's always cheaper per item when you buy more of it so the five boxes might be a dollar each but when you buy 50 they might only be 50 cents each The other reason is hours. A grocery store is open from, what, maybe 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. or 8 to 10. 7-Eleven, Plaid Pantry, and others are open 24 hours. So they have to pay staff and utilities around the clock. Which is a good point, but grocery stores have, like, 50 employees, and convenience stores usually have, like, two a day. So it's also a convenience fee. You know, they happen to be open all night. That's an extra charge for you. You're desperate for diapers. You're going to pay more.
1: Yeah, I, you don't complain at Seven Eleven to the people at Seven Eleven. That's there. right. They it, if if they didn't do that, there wouldn't be a Seven Eleven there. Exactly. You wouldn't get. You have to go somewhere else to this. Oh That's right. Hello. <laughs> ding ding. Do we have to? Do we have to fight each I other? I think so. Well, goodbye. And they go prepare.
0: Besides her own purchases, Rose is amazed diapers have evolved to have little teddy bears that disappear when the diaper is wet. It's not that amazing to Dorothy. She didn't need the bears to tell her. When Stan disappeared, she knew one of the babies needed to be changed. When it came to changing diapers, Rose loved it. Blanche didn't mind it, but she wasn't very good at it. She always forgot to tuck, leaving the boys with wet shirts. What she didn't tuck was the ooh-hoo, leaving Rose, who apparently drank pesticides as a child, wondering what that was. Not interested in saying penis at that hour to daft Rose, Dorothy jokes, it's a chocolate drink. Not an oohu, but a yuhu. hoo It's a chocolate drink that many people think is a type of chocolate milk. However, it's almost all water and corn syrup, so it's technically just a flavored beverage of which Rose has never had. When discussing all of the child-rearing they've done, the girls start to muse about what their parenting of Emily would be like. Perhaps agreeing, Rose gives them the advice her mother gave her. The older you get, the better you get. Unless you're a banana. It's Britannica.com that teaches us it's the gassy nature of bananas that causes them to go brown. The same enzyme that causes bruising in fruit is related to the ripening process. It's the amount of gas, ethylene, that bananas create at a higher level than other fruits. It's the same reason you can put a non-ripe banana in a paper bag and it'll ripen faster. All in all, a green banana can be out for a few days to ripen. Then about three days after ripening, it'll start to go bad. And that fun fact is dedicated to Cody from Big Brother who didn't know what the word ripe meant.
1: What does that mean? Ripe. Is that good? Ripe right. is good, right? What does that mean? <laughs> you never heard that word. No, I know what ripe means, but I don't know exactly like when you say, oh, the bananas are ripe, I don't know if it's like they still need to be you know. So you don't know what ripe means. <laughs> <laughs> but I know the context of what it is. But not what it is. But not exactly what it is. Alright.
0: Because Dorothy mentioned, hey, if we had to raise the baby between the four of us, we could do it, Blanche has latched on. She has finally found a baby that not only doesn't hate her, but she doesn't mind either, and she thinks they could just keep her. This is really subtle and not even part of the story, but I appreciate that they use this opportunity to show what different households can be like. Family isn't necessarily mom, dad, and baby. Family can be grandpa, auntie, foster mom, or three moms and a grandma. Love makes a family, not demographics. Blanche is serious. She had a nanny around to raise her children, and because of that, she didn't develop that special bond. Even when her children were grown, they still went to the nanny on Christmas morning. And that lack of relationship has Blanche desperate to make things right, even if that means raising a baby when she's 45. Spending the night on the couch, Blanche is awoken by a cry from Emily. Without hesitation, she is up and holding the baby, talking to her about life and how fast it goes. She even gets introspective, realizing that during the years her children were little, she was still focused on herself and she can't turn back time to fix it. When Rose and Dorothy come out of their rooms in their robes and pajamas, Dorothy again in actual comfy-looking ones that don't have seventy-two buttons or a lace collar, we realize Blanche is in the same clothes and she has slept on the couch to keep her eye on Emily. Ah, but now that Emily is crying, licking her lips and staring at Blanche's chest, she knows she's hungry, which made me think of a funny story about my first hickey. It came from my brother, and no, it's not as southern as that sounds. <laughs> my brother and I have a nine-year age difference, and I was holding him when he was a very young baby, and my mom mentioned that he was hungry, and I was rocking him in my arms. He was kind of sitting up, and because he was so hungry, he latched onto my chin, and I started laughing, thinking it was really funny, but I thought it was really funny for too long. I, I dragged the bit out, if you will, and then I popped him off of my face, and I had a huge bruise hickey on the entirety of my chin. And that was my first hickey.
1: That's pretty cute.
0: Oh, thanks.
1: <laughs> no, the idea of each, you two kissing.
0: Ew. Ew. We're not cousins, and I'm not Southern.
1: Mm. By blood, aren't you? How dare you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> With all the girls in the kitchen, they're surprisingly delighted to have been awoken by the crying of a baby rather than the garbage man. Also surprisingly, Blanche claims to have never slept with a garbage man. Then Sophia enters, annoyed they couldn't keep the baby quiet. I do love how she says, there's 90 years of mother in here. It's kind of a sweet thought that if they did have to keep Emily, it would be like a Captain Planet of motherhood, and with their powers combined, they could do a great job raising her. Apparently winning her big race didn't make Sophia any nicer. Looking at the baby, she suggests that it needs a chin, Once again, Dorothy is right, as babies do have recessed chins to make breastfeeding easier. But Sophia points out, Dorothy had a chin and a forehead big enough to project movies on. After her walk, Sophia's ear hurts from all of the phone calls of well-wishers and interview inquiries. When there's a ringing of the doorbell, she can only assume it's paparazzi, and just like Sean Penn, she has had enough. Back in 1985, when actor Sean Penn was dating Madonna, he got into an altercation with two paparazzo in England. As they took photos of Madonna jogging, he went off, saying, No pictures. You take my picture, and I'll break your back with this rock. He proceeded to then hit one of them with a rock. This led to Sean being charged with two counts of assault and battery and a $100 fine. His anger about having his picture taken hasn't really subsided. There are videos that pop up every couple of years or so that involve him yelling at or spitting on a photog. Rightfully so, I guess. To a degree.
1: Get out! Get out! Get out! Get the f*** out!
0: On the other side of the door isn't TMZ, it's Emily's father, played by Dr. Wallerstein from last week, Nat Bernstein. He doesn't introduce himself, so perhaps he is in fact the doctor and just didn't recognize the girls? In his ultimate 80s dad outfit of khakis, a light pink colored shirt, and a windbreaker, he's ready to get his daughter. But before he can, he must endure some berating from Dorothy. How dare you just show up like this after abandoning her yesterday? But there's a flaw in Dorothy's anger. Mr. Doctor Dad did call. It was after the walk, and he was informing them his wife was having triplets not the lime juice and gin cocktail, gimlets. Okay, hold the phone. Your wife had triplets? Let's play out the few ways in which this timeline might actually work. Number one, maybe Emily isn't the child of his wife. She's from a previous relationship or maybe even an affair. If Emily is six months old, he got that woman pregnant 15 months ago and then got his wife pregnant about seven months ago, which is the average gestation period for triplets. Based on the little bit of Emily they've shown, I'll maybe say she's 8 months, but I will not give you a year. If it was the wife that birthed Emily and the triplets, then we can only assume this was a rare occasion of a woman ovulating right after having her baby and she got pregnant when she had a 1 month old. Oh god, no. Another option is that the couple was having fertility issues and they adopted. Maybe Emily was adopted. No, and no. So no, no, often here, no. No. They got no, pregnant. Or, no, 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 or IV. No 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 no, 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 no. No! Either way.
1: No? No! No! No. No, no, no. No, 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 no.
0: Also, who goes on a walk-a-thon when your wife is? potentially giving birth to triplets any moment that's my other question
1: he made a commitment to walk a thon
0: he had four people that were going to pay him 25 cents a mile and he's doing it with their ovaries humming due to emily's presence the girls can't help but be excited for the new father dorothy even asking what they were as in boys or girls for rose this is her time to show her smarts as she schools dorothy Triplets are when you have three babies born at once. Before the father can even finish apologizing, Blanche has all of Emily's things packed up and nearly pushes her out the door. Clearly, she's heartbroken. It isn't so much that Emily is gone, it's that she doesn't know how to fix the relationship with her own kids, and Emily was her chance to vicariously do so. Feeling like her kids don't need her even after Dorothy's pep talk, Blanche leaves for the kitchen, unsure of her ability to be a good mom. And for Sophia, it's that sometimes the parents need the kids just as much as they need their parents, like in this case, where she needs $20. When Dorothy turns her down, she tries to get the money from Rose, explaining she needs it to train in order to reach her Olympic dreams. But if she's going for gold, she's going to need a lot more than just $20 for training. An article on WCAX.com from earlier this year shares just how cost-ineffective being an Olympian is. With training running between twenty dollars to $50,000 annually, on top of equipment and travel, families can easily spend half a million dollars in pursuit of the $37,500 a gold medal provides. Sure, you can hope for sponsorships in a Wheaties box, but not when you're competing in something like speedwalking. This, of course, compels Rose to donate. What she doesn't realize is she's actually donating to the Help Sophia Play Bingo Fund. In the kitchen with Blanche, we find her on the phone with her daughter, Janet, and right away, you can tell it has been a while since they've talked, as Janet is concerned. After assuring her everything is all right, Blanche then explains how she would like to come visit soon. As the weeks and excuses go on, Blanche makes it clear that they need to talk, and it's important that they get time together. So, after begging, Janet agrees, and Blanche will be going to see her that following weekend. This is definitely one of Blanche's more tender moments. I love how the camera starts at a normal distance at the edge of the kitchen, and as Blanche's conversation becomes more desperate, it gets closer and closer. And we don't often get to see Blanche admit to mistakes or to try to do something to correct them, but here she is. It's definitely a deeper, more delicate side to her, a place where you can really see how hurt and regretful she is. Coco, I know that really, we were both sitting on the couch feeling pretty emotional, for me i've seen it a million times and it still gets me and for you i know it was new
1: it was very effective and i it made me think of people in my life that i wish would do that would reach out not to me but would reach out would make contact would try to repair something that important i like it when sitcom characters mm. do something incredibly human mm. outside of sitcom stuff like they're doing like real human work that is like super hard to do it's cool that they show it i think
0: again that's a huge part of this show lasting for how long it has because if you look at true like sitcom sitcoms you're talking like you know full house or something (laughs) and they might wrap it up in a nice little bow at the end and and hug it out or maybe tear up a little but yeah it didn't it didn't ever hit that real place.
1: Yeah, leaving you on a, a hopeful heartbreak, but still a heartbreak.
0: Yeah, and this is like, yeah, you feel like Blanche is talking to her daughter. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> you can see the desperation and the fear that it's been too long or. um, And the un-
1: the worry that, yeah, that that, by, that reaching out is going to get. That hand that, reach, that is reaching mm-hmm. out is going to get slapped down.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, she didn't want to hold the baby. She yeah. was scared of getting rejected. So that phone call was a huge step. And that's the thing, too. Well, we talked about two things of, like, one, that that phone call, that is the step to correcting it. So many people, I think, don't pick up the phone because it's, I messed up, and if I need to fix it, I don't even know where to start. And it's like, but the phone call is the start. The saying, I messed up, is the start or saying we need to talk that's the work. So you can see in that moment of just saying I want to talk it's like thank you for acknowledging and both you and I like I said with COVID we've lost relationships. 90% for me of what could be corrected would be that phone call or text saying I know I messed up and I want to fix it. The other maybe we maybe say unusual point in this story is that these are middle-aged women. You know, this isn't, they're not trying to get uh, just families or just men or just younger people to watch. They are they are dealing with situations that people of that age deal with. I'm dealing with the relationship between my grown daughter. You know, it's not just to appease everyone. It's like, well, what would these women be doing? And there aren't a lot of portrayals of that, of a real-life older woman and what that looks like and the things that you have to deal with it's not just happy everything's great you know
1: yeah I think that in a a regular sitcom or an average sitcom that storyline would be flipped and it would be the younger Mm. the younger kid the 20 30 year old trying to do that or trying to understand it about their parent, you know? Mm-hmm. But this was the parent going that way. And the which parent is, would be the villain. And, and and it's, yeah, exactly, yeah. And that's, a, that's actually a pretty novel thing, I think, for the 80s, to have a parent mm-hmm. reach out and say, I made mistakes. Yeah. That's huge. Oh,
0: yeah, in the 80s, that was not happening. No,
1: I can attest.
0: It is its own iconic episode. It's not the funniest episode. It's not uh, the most brilliant episode. It's not anything in that realm but especially this moment of Blanche and kind of the whole episode getting to know her on such a deeper level I think that's part of what really um, makes people revisit this episode over and over because she's not just the slut you know
1: I I really it was really moving to me Mm -hmm. I just loved it
0: and it is cool to see it I really like your point of like yeah any other situation it would have been the younger one because every young person could roll their eyes and go oh I know my mom and, like, my mom's just a dummy that doesn't know how hurt I am. And it's like this f- totally flips that to say parents know and and she's got her own baggage of guilt from having a nanny and and her selfishness and what she chose to do. And she's carrying that all the time. But it's so easily dismissed in other formats, you know.
1: Just, uh, just talk to your babies and let your babies talk to you. Oh, you got to talk to each other. That's right. Uh, (laughs) A-duh.
0: When mistakes are made in life, it's hard to not want to go back in time and change it or find a way to redo it. But the only thing we can do is move forward with better intentions. If you weren't a good parent when your children were young, being a good parent to a new baby won't fix those other relationships. Doing what's right from now on might. Today is truly all we have, so if you feel like you didn't do good enough on that presentation... All you can do is try better next time and learn from your mistakes. It's how we get better at everything. Try, fail, learn, grow, repeat. Failures aren't meant to deter us from what we're trying to accomplish. They're to teach us and to make us better. Embrace those mistakes like Blanche embraced that fake baby with all the joy, hope, desire to do well, and love you can muster. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we put you to sleep with... Bedtime story. Are
1: you, are you sure about the outro this week?
0: Okay.
1: <music> seafood's delicious. Comes from the world's toilet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to say it comes from the sea. <laughs> <laughs> no more hiding.
1: Yeah, that's how you okay. like. You can always tell s- there's something wrong with someone because they're like, "There's no."
0: Why are you eating behind the fridge in the kitchen? I I.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that spookled me. <laughs> Was that um a sexy noise? Obviously. Oh, okay. Sponge dreams and agrees to the one day of caretaking. How will the water be managed as to not get bathed in, you know, pre sponged sweat? Gosh dang it, Rosie, you dumb bitch.
1: <coughs>
0: I'm just playing with my rotten potato outside. <laughs> this is a family show, but that having dinner and having. Intercourse both led to uh, certain types of meals, if you will.
1: Hmm. Pineapple? (laughs) This one, obviously, this isn't live, right?
0: (laughs) North of Miami, Vero Beach. Vero Beach. (laughs) Hi
1: there. I'm from Vero Beach, baby. I like to party in my nose. Oh, my.
0: My upcoming novel, The Unnamed Children of the Lanai. It's a very heavy song. And uh, about eight years ago, seven years ago, I was at a friend's baby shower. (laughs) And they had like a 90s mix or or something like that playing. And then all of a sudden, we all hear this piano start. And I went and grabbed the mom-to-be. And I was like, hey, Jen, could you maybe change the song about an abortion at your baby shower? (laughs)
1: You wanted and, it to be and different. Then she did. <laughs> a different abortion song.
0: <laughs> yes. Moving on from acting, Ariana released some... eh. into the stroller thing, and that's like the only time we get to see her as a baby. But that's her. I feel like that's called a
1: pram. Oh, it's called little... a pram. A little, a little, little buggy, stroller. Little, a little buggy. A buggy for a baby. <laughs> My little one. Ow. <laughs> Reginald, (laughs) he bit me. I honestly, my dad is kind of a scatterbrained dude. Oh, so you felt like you
0: had to keep yourself.
1: I'm not kidding. There are so many stories he could tell about me being like, Dad, you have (laughs) to, you know, like hopefully hoping he'd remember to come back home. There was, we went on a vacation. We were in, in Hawaii and he was getting very close to the edge of a lava cliff. He... He concerned me. <laughs> so do. even
0: as a child, you're like, I have to take over the situation.
1: Yeah, that sounds pretty healthy, huh?
0: It, I mean, definitely not something to talk to your therapist about for sure. i write that down.
1: <laughs> stuff with dad had an effect on me. Weird. The more I know. other people
0: know about this stuff? The
1: yeah. more I know. They, they creamed his jeans. They cream corned his jeans. They jeansed his cream corn? <laughs> is there something there? Nah. They corned
0: his cream jeans?
1: Ew. Yeah, there we go.
0: The corn story has disgusted Blanche, and she shoes the ladies out the door to get things.
1: This place is cornstery. Like history. <laughs> well, gotta turn the mic up for that one. <laughs> I would like to say that I said cornstory because you said the corn story. And so I said, this place is cornstory. That's what it was.
0: Don't put it back on me.
1: No, no, I'm not blaming you. That's just what made it come out of my head. Yeah, I I don't know about that.
0: Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister